Thank you, Jessica. And legacy takes a lot of courage to get up in front of this many people, and I'm thankful for y'all doing that today. Matthew chapter 20 is where we'll be this morning. Matthew chapter 20. Before we get to the message, I do want to uh, point out uh, one other note in the bulletin. Uh, we uh, had a big night Wednesday night uh, with our Awana closing program, and uh, it was quite a sight to see all the kids and the workers lined up here across the stage and, and their Awana uniforms, and then just to hear the students uh, recite the Word of God off the top of their head, that was very refreshing and bring a lot of joy to you. That was a great, uh, great program. I want to thank everybody uh, who had a part in that. Uh, our Awana workers uh, just poured themselves into that program all year long, and uh, without people to step up and do that sort of thing, uh, well, this place would be a whole lot quieter on Wednesday nights. So, uh, as we said here in the bulletin, only in eternity will the true impact of your hard work be shown. So, uh, you know, Wednesday night was a great night, but I want to tell you all about something that happened to me earlier in the day, Wednesday. Some of y'all have heard this story. I told the story to just a few people, and uh, I, I tied in with the sermon pretty well, actually. And so I want to tell you about it. I was at Walmart, okay? Big things happen at Walmart. It's about 2.30 in the afternoon on Wednesday. I had not eaten lunch. I'm very hungry by 2.30 in the afternoon if I haven't eaten lunch. And so I thought, you know, they've got some chicken strips over there in their little deli. And I've done this uh, countless times, gone over there, gotten me a few chicken strips. So I walked up to the deli. The young man behind the counter said, how can I help you, sir? I said, I want three of those chicken strips. He said, I'm sorry, I can't sell you three chicken strips. He said, we can only sell them in twos. And I often say I'm smarter than I look, but I didn't know I looked quite this ignorant because he proceeded to explain that to me. He said, so for instance, you can get two, or you can get four, or you can get six. <laughs> well, I thought I'm hungrier than two, but four is too many. And so I said, I tell you what, give me two chicken strips, and then give me some of those potato wedges over there. He said, now it'll be cheaper. <laughs> Just love helpful people helpful up at Walmart. It'll be cheaper if you get the little lunch plate. He said, you see, you can get a lunch plate with one side, and that's cheaper than just buying the chicken strips and the potato wedges separate. Oh, I thought, okay. Give me the lunch plate. Give me the chicken strips and the potato wedges. He said, That'll, that comes with three chicken strips <laughs> and some... And so, I got my three chicken strips. But I also got some potato wedges that I didn't necessarily want at that point. And I thought, that's an important detail. They ought to put this somewhere. They ought to have it in a big sign or something that says how they sell this stuff. Turns out they did. It was right up above the deli. There's this big sign that explained how they sold all the stuff in the case. It's important to pay attention to detail. Sometimes we miss the details when they're right in front of our face. 
especially when we're familiar with it, because I've done this a lot of times. I've gotten three chicken strips on a number of occasions because they used to sell them by weight. Apparently now they sell them by pair like they sell socks. But, but, they, but now they sell the chicken strips two at a time, but they used to not do it that way. But anyway, if I would have paid attention to the details, y'all wouldn't have got quite as much of a laugh as you got this morning. But do you know sometimes we look at God's word and we have that same type of experience? Because we're so used to going to this passage of scripture and reading these words and we just think we're going to get the same thing out of the same passage every time. But, you know, the glorious thing about God's word is that unlike the policies at the Walmart deli, God's word never changes. And this morning we're going to be looking at a familiar story as Jesus heals two blind beggars in Jericho. It's one of those very familiar stories. It's a very short story, just six verses we'll look at. It's one of those, it's got the common theme, Jesus passes through, the person who's sick or, or has something else wrong with them comes and finds Jesus, they ask for healing, he heals them, and the story moves on. It's real easy just to skip past that, like we've got all the details, we know what's going on, but I want you to pay close attention this morning. Because I'd submit to you that this story isn't just about Jesus healing two blind men. Within the story, you'll find one of the clearest presentations of the gospel that you've probably ever heard. Within this story, I think you'll find your story. Because I know I found my story. So pay close attention. As we work through this text this morning, we're going to examine what Matthew has to say about these blind men, and we'll find out there's more to the story than meets the eye. Matthew chapter 20, read with me, beginning in verse 29. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the stories within your word. I pray this morning that you would speak to each one of our hearts, Father, just illuminate your word as we read from it and we study it and just give us the message that you have for each one of us individually as we read this true story about something that happened so many years ago. Father, be with us now. Do what only you can do, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read the text this morning, I want you to see something right off the bat. In verse 29, it says, Now they went out of Jericho. So this isn't just some story about Jesus passing through town and something happening while he's there. Jesus is on a mission as this happens. It says Jesus is on his way out of Jericho. 
Now, Mark and Luke also record the story. This is a, we'll look at some of that in a little bit. This is Matthew's account. Matthew is an eyewitness. Matthew is there as this is happening. And he says Jesus was leaving Jericho. That must mean he's going somewhere. And you see, that's a part of the bigger picture that we need to remember and not just fly through this story, but how does this story tie into the bigger picture of what's going on? Look back at verse 17. Matthew says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he'll rise again. Jesus as he passes through Jericho, has another destination. And that destination is the cross. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's, we're within the last uh, week or so of Jesus' life as we read this story. Jesus knows what will happen in just a few short days. Tuck all of that information back in your mind because we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. But for right now, let's focus on what's happening in Jericho. Matthew gives us some details of a common problem. We find in verse 30, it says, Behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Two blind men sitting by the road. If you do your homework you'd find out something. You'd find out there were more than likely a lot more than two blind men sitting there. Matthew just uh, details what happens with these two. But blindness was a very, very common problem in Jesus' day, even more so than today. Blindness is not uncommon today. We just have a lot more medical treatments to treat the cause today. You know, for example, you could get trauma to your eye. It was very common in that day to get trauma, maybe uh, just from some injury or from, from warfare, from a battle, and uh, they didn't have a way to repair the eye. The, it was very common when someone was blind from childbirth. It was because during the, the birthing process, they got bacteria in their eye that caused them to go blind. Now, today, we have antibiotic eye drops. Even as adults, sometimes you might get a bacterial infection of the eye. See, that would have caused blindness in Jesus' day. Today, we've got antibiotics. Now, some of you, as I look around the crowd, no doubt, I'm not going to say why I'm assuming this, but you'll get the point. Some of you probably had cataract surgery. Well, they had cataracts back then, too. What do cataracts ultimately cause? Blindness. Not today, because you can have those removed. And, of course, you had just regular nearsightedness, farsightedness. Some of you, like me, if you don't have your contacts or your glasses, you're in a lot of trouble. But today, like I say, we can fix that. They couldn't do all that in Jesus' day. Jericho was a mecca of sorts for blind people. Because, you see, they didn't have a lot of medical treatments for blindness, but there was a special bush from which they would take and they would make a medication that would cure some forms of blindness. 
most likely a bacterial infection of some kind. That bush grew very well in Jericho. And so there would have been a lot of blind people in Jericho, more so than there would have been in other places because they're being brought there seeking that treatment. So these two men that Jesus encounters are two of probably hundreds of blind people who would have been there on the streets of Jericho. These men had a common problem. But their common problem was compounded by something else. It was a very familiar obstacle. Now, your mind may first go to the obstacle and you say, well, in the story, the obstacle is the crowd. You see that in verse 31. The multitude warned them to be quiet. The the multitude, the crowd following Jesus said, just stay over there, stay out of our way. But you see, that's not the first obstacle these men faced. That obstacle was brought on by another obstacle, and that's the fact that society as a whole looked down on blind people. It was a common thought process in Jewish society that if you were blind or if you had some other disease, that you must have sinned really bad or somebody else sinned really bad that caused you to have that. Even Jesus' disciples believed this at one point. You can look, if you wanted to, in John chapter 9. Verse 1, it's another situation. Not, this is not the same story Matthew is telling, but it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, that this, uh, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he's blind so that the works of God should be revealed through him. Jesus said there was another reason for the blindness. It wasn't caused by sin. So society looked down at them, looked down upon them. But to add even more insult to injury, not only were they just generally looked down on by society as a whole, more often than not, a blind person was just neglected by their family because, you see, a blind person, due to the uh, economic system of the day, they couldn't go out and hold a job. It's an agrarian economy. You can't run a plow if you can't see. You can't work in the field if you can't see. You can't shepherd a flock if you can't see the flock. And so this was a person who was not able to contribute to the household. That was one more mouth to feed in a very poor situation. So these people were cast out, cast out onto the streets, brought to Jericho possibly, and just dropped off. All this led to blind people being just regulated or relegated, I'll get my word out in a minute, relegated to the bottom of the social ladder. Nobody cared about them. They were often even just kind of relegated to anonymity. You'd see these blind people out on the streets, but you didn't know who they were. They were just anonymous. Now, if you know your Bible stories, you know that in Mark's account of this same story, Mark gives one of our blind beggars a name. I would ask if anybody knows the name, but we typically don't do that on Sunday mornings. That's more of a Bible study thing. But in Mark chapter 10... 
Verse 46, Mark says this. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And so you say, aha, this guy's not anonymous. We know his name. Not so fast. His name's probably not Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus may be who he is, but that's probably not his proper name because if you know much at all uh, about just because you read this in other places, Simon Bar-Jonah is how uh, Simon Peter may be uh, referred to from time to time in Scripture. That word bar means son of. So when he's called Bartimaeus, that's just saying he's the son of Timaeus. It's like me just saying, oh, you know that guy, Royce's son. If I just completely forget Greg's name and just relegate Greg to anonymity over here or anybody else in the crowd. So Mark's calling Bartimaeus by that name is like saying, hmm, I really don't know that guy's name, but oh, you know who his daddy is. These blind beggars were so insignificant that they didn't even stop to get their full, proper name. And all of this is because of the attitude that often came with the blind people of the day. They'd find themselves near the city gates. That's where this is taking place. Jesus is going out of Jericho. And they'd stay there because they were smarter. Because who comes in and out of the gate? See, people who live in town aren't always going in and out of the gate. Travelers are coming in and out of the gate. Now, what do you do when you're getting ready to go on a trip? You probably go to the ATM or to the bank and get you a little extra cash. They did the equivalent of that in their day. A traveler would be carrying more money. So these, these blind beggars are near the gate where they can try to find them some travelers to help give them some money. But specific to our story today, the biggest obstacle in their way is the crowd. Look again at verse 30. Matthew says, Behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Let me paint the picture for you here. What's most likely happening is as Jesus walks along, he's doing what any rabbi of the day would do. A rabbi would often walk down the street, and that rabbi's disciples would be following him along, and as they walk along, the rabbi is teaching, and the disciples are trying to keep up and listen to what the rabbi has to say. And so Jesus is walking along. It says there's a great multitude. It's a lot of people. Now, you know, the bigger the crowd, they didn't have the microphone and the amplification that we have today. Of course, they're walking along. If they're all walking in that way, Jesus is projecting away from the crowd that's following. Folks in the back are having a hard time hearing as it is. And then you got these blind beggars over here hollering. Hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 31 says the crowd warned them. That word warned, the Greek word that is translated in our uh, English Bible as warned means that they were warned implying a threat. In other words, 
be quiet or else. Be quiet or we'll make you be quiet. But Matthew says they didn't be quiet. They shouted all the more. I think it's important that we stop here for a minute and consider exactly what it means that these men were shouting. If we look at the Greek word that, that is translated here as shouting, it's more than just hollering. It's more than just saying, hey, Jesus, would you come over here for a minute? We got something we want to talk to you about. No, this Greek word is also the same word that's used in Matthew 15 of the Canaanite woman who cried out to Jesus to heal her daughter. If you're a parent, you understand the anguish and the desperation that must have been coming. She'd do anything for her daughter to be healed as she cried out with great emotion to Jesus. It's the same word. It's the same word that is used to describe in Mark chapter 15 of the crowd standing before Pilate on the night of Jesus' trial shouting, crucify him, crucify him, with what great emotion they shouted. And it's the same exact word in Matthew chapter 27 that describes Jesus crying out from the cross. When we really understand the word Matthew uses to describe their plea, we understand how desperate they were. We understand how their earnest plea meant they would do anything. They had such intense emotion knowing that he is their only hope. These two blind men had a common problem compounded by a familiar obstacle. But they were met with the uncommon compassion of Jesus. Look again in verse 32. It says, So Jesus stood still, and he called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion. And he touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. It never ceases to amaze me when I read about the compassion of Jesus. No matter how busy he is, you remember Jesus has another destination in mind. Can you imagine how it might have weighed on the mind of Jesus what would be happening at the end of the next week. He knew the cross was coming. He had so many things on his mind, no matter how many other people might have been clamoring for his attention. This great multitude is following him, listening to him teach. And I only assume maybe they'd have been asking questions. But Jesus, what about this? But Jesus, what about this? Would y'all be quiet? We're trying to listen to Jesus teach. But Jesus stopped and he made time. Jesus makes time for those who make time for him. You know, James chapter 4 verse 8 tells us that if we'll draw near to God, he draws near to us. I love Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 that says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You're looking for grace, you're looking for mercy, the author of Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne of grace. These blind beggars 
we're coming boldly straight to the throne room of heaven when they were shouting at Jesus. And they found mercy and they found grace. The most important thing to see here isn't just that they came boldly. It's that they came in faith. Their words demonstrate faith. You see, they said, O Lord, son of David. Now there's nothing special to read into in this word Lord that is here. That word Lord is just a a symbol of respect that was used often uh, in that time. You know, you may hear somebody today say uh, something about my Lord or my lady, something like that, you know. Well, we don't read too much into the word Lord. Look at the title, Son of David. We'll read that again in, in chapter 21 as he makes the triumphal entry and they're waving their palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Because Son of David means they recognize Jesus not as some rabbi walking down the street. They recognize Jesus Christ to be exactly who he is, the promised Messiah, the one who was promised by God all those years ago to come and would save the nation of Israel and indeed would save the world. They knew who Jesus was. William Barclay, the Greek scholar, says the fact that they called him son of David means that they recognized him as the Messiah, even though they may not have had a complete understanding of what that means. Let me translate all that for you. They knew who Jesus was, even though they hadn't figured it all out yet. But they came with what faith they had, and Jesus responded. But let me show you something else about faith. If you know uh, what James says in the epistle that he writes, James says that faith without works is dead. In other words, true faith is demonstrated by our actions. Look at the actions of the beggars. We don't see it in Matthew's account, but in Mark's account of the same story, Mark says, in throwing aside his garment, Bartimaeus rose and came to Jesus That garment was essentially an outer cloak. Remember, he's a homeless beggar. This outer cloak represents all that he has, all of his earthly possessions. He would never leave it behind because he can't see to get back to it. And there's nobody that's going to help a blind beggar get back to his stuff. If he leaves it behind, he'll never have it. Again, he'll lose all his earthly possessions except for the fact that he knows in just a minute he's going to be able to turn around and see his cloak laying on the ground because his faith was demonstrated by his actions. The fact that he walked away from that cloak to go to Jesus was demonstration that he knew that Jesus could heal him. What remarkable faith. And the story tells us that Jesus recognized their faith, he heard their request, and he restored their vision. These men had done nothing to earn the favor of Jesus. By the measure of society, they didn't even deserve to talk to Jesus. But Jesus had compassion on them. And oh, how it changed their lives. You see, now they could get a job. Now they could support themselves. Now they could get off the streets. Now they could go back home. Because of their encounter with Jesus, it completely 
changed their outlook on life. The love of Jesus changed every part of their life on earth, but it didn't end there. If we look in, again in, in Mark's account, he ends the story like this. Then Jesus said to them, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, if you just read over that, you just glaze over it, you're familiar with the story, and you read that, he said, Jesus is telling them, you can go your way, you're well, you can see. But that word well comes from the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, and it's got some little marks over the O's, whatever that means, S-O-Z-O, sozo. That is the most common word in the New Testament that is translated salvation. Jesus didn't just restore their sight, but because of their faith, he saved their soul. As this story opened up, these men were relegated to the bottom of the social ladder, but by the time the story ends, they are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. My, how their lives changed. And it brings us all to bring this to a close to say, that's a wonderful story. But what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me sitting at Brister Baptist Church or watching on the live stream on May 1st, 2022? It's a completely different world out there today. What does this story have to do with me? Three little quick points of application. Number one, no matter what problem you're facing in life today, Jesus has the answer. Jesus has the answer. You might think you're a nobody. There's no telling how terrible these blind beggars pictured themselves because of what the world had told them about themselves. But Jesus cared. Jesus changed your life. Jesus changed your life if you let him. Second way we apply this to our lives today is that there's going to be times in our lives when the crowd tells us just to stay quiet. No, they'll tell you there's other ways to solve your problems. You take this pill or you talk to this person or you do that and your problems will be solved. I'll tell you the only problem and the only solution for the world is Jesus. Don't let the crowd keep you from Jesus. And the third point of application, I'll quote John MacArthur when he says, what Jesus did for blind eyes is a vivid portrayal of what he desires to do for blind souls. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he would fulfill his God-appointed purpose. But he had something else on his mind. We're going to prepare for our invitational hymn, and I tell you that Jesus took time to stop and meet the needs of the blind beggars. Jesus had them on his mind. He had something else on his mind, all the problems of the world on his mind, but he took time to stop and meet the needs of the beggars. And I tell you this morning, Jesus has got you on his mind. You may be going through something, you may be facing something, and you say, I just don't, my, I can't see a way forward. Jesus says, I want to take the blinders off your soul. And I want to show you the way forward. Don't you ever think 
God is too busy for you? Don't you ever think Jesus is too busy for you? As we see in the story, he's not. He'll stop and take time for you today if you'll just call upon him. Just call upon him and say, Jesus, I need you. See, we talk to him that way. Do you know how he talks back to us right here? You say, I pray all the time I don't hear from Jesus, but do you pick your Bible up and read what he wrote? This is the way he talks to us. He's got the answer for you today. Whatever you're facing, I hope you'll turn to Jesus. If you've never trusted him as your Savior this morning, if you're like those blind men and and you're completely spiritually blind and you can't see the way to heaven, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whatever he's spoken to you this morning, don't leave here without taking care of it. Would you stand and we'll sing.